Welcome to Fireside with Voxkick, podcast for professional public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of Voxgig.com, which is an online community and service for speakers and event professionals. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. Andrew, welcome to the Fireside with Box Gig podcast. It's great to have you here today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Richard. Wonderful stuff. Let's start with a little bit about you. Give us the uh, the 30-second pitch for Andrew McAdam. 30-second pitch. It was a fun one. Uh, we, might, we might give you a few more. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm one of those. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've worked for some, some very large organizations, uh, currently in Microsoft. I've uh, been here for the last seven years, uh, a myriad of roles, but... Uh, most recently, in fact, freshly minted into my new role as uh, managing director for startups in Western Europe. Um, prior to that, I've been the customer success director. Um, I've also been an evangelist, uh, which is a great title in Microsoft. It basically means you get the opportunity to go out and, and get people excited about technology. Um, prior to that, um, uh, I was with uh, quite a large uh, mobile telecommunications company where I was head of digital, um, business manager to the CEO. I've done organizational change. I've done sales, marketing, and everything in between. So I've been very fortunate in my career that I've had the opportunity, I guess, to experience quite different industries, uh, but also quite different roles in those industries as well. Those roles definitely sound like they involve quite a bit of public speaking, both uh, at internal events and external events. Would that be accurate? Yeah, it would. And, and the interesting thing is that, that I think a lot of people's experiences come from um, the internal before the external. And I have to say there were some, uh, should we call them great learning experiences in the past with regards to how you present internally and, and how that obviously impacts how you present externally as well. An interesting thing that's come up in this podcast before with some of our guests is in some ways presenting to a smaller internal audience or an audience that you know well can actually be more difficult or more nerve-wracking than presenting to, to a larger audience of, of hundreds. Is that your experience? Absolutely. And in fact, there's, a, there's one specific... Now, to be fair, it was quite a large audience internally, but there was one specific experience. I had. Um, it was as I knew I had my new role in Microsoft, I knew that as part of that role, I was going out and... and Core two was going to be speaking to lots and lots of people. And bizarrely, I'd been asked just to, to stand up as part of a larger presentation internally. In, in, uh, it was in Vodafone. And there were about 100 people in the room. And literally, all I had to do was rattle through a few numbers and then say what the strategy was. And I stood up, and I have no idea why it happened. Complete blank literally stood there. And I, to me, it felt like about 30 seconds. I was told it was only two or three seconds. Complete mind blank around what I was supposed to be saying, why I was there. I mumbled it out. I sat down. I've never been so embarrassed in my entire life. Now, that was how I felt. I was told, as I say afterwards, that wasn't necessarily the case. But it's amazing how the dynamic was completely different 
And I wasn't actually expecting the reaction that I had. That rush of adrenaline really came on strong, um, which meant uh, it was a it was a terrible experience. Terrible for you, but I mean, let's let's just zone in on on the audience. It wasn't terrible for the audience. No. It was actually just fine for them, they, as far as they were concerned. Just another half-witted speaker. Absolutely. I think this is an important thing in terms of getting over one's uh, fear of public speaking. Is is to remember your perception of time as a speaker. Your perception of what you're doing is often different from the audience's. Yeah, it's a great point, Richard. And, and interesting you say that because one of the things that I talk to a lot of people when it comes to how they. Um, present is actually teaching them to count once they've made a point. Obviously, in their heads, not out loud. That doesn't work very well. Um, but uh, <laughs> if there's a really important point that they're trying to land, take a breath. As in, literally, I normally say count to three. And obviously, in their brains, they're counting very quickly to three. But even that, just a pause is enough for people to actually, in the audience, take a second to understand the point that you've just made, because it's very easy to rush on. It certainly is. And well, I suppose it, it's an interesting observation. Uh, so I'm Irish. And one of the problems that we have as speakers is we speak very fast. <laughs> you know, our, our compatriots uh, in America in particular find that quite challenging. I think in, in the UK, uh, it's less of an issue. Uh, you have good pacing in your voice uh, from what I hear. Uh, but certainly Irish people rush on and don't give the audience time to think. Yeah, and and I know it does. This is my to my to my shame. I've been here eighteen years, and I still sound like this. So um, I think you should be proud. You have a fantastic voice. <laughs> well, much the chagrin of my wife and my two Irish children as well. I still sound like the quintessential Englishman. But no, I mean it. It is interesting because I think it's also, and this is one of the things I talk about a lot, which is about knowing your audience because. An Irish person presenting to an Irish audience, you know what, if it's a little bit pacier, I think it's accepted and it's okay. I mean, there's still a, there's a, got to be aware, but I think it's okay. But I think one of the challenges sometimes is when we're not necessarily as aware of the audience, of the diversity of the audience in front of us. So that's one of the things that I think in preparation is really important to understand is it a multicultural audience, for example? Are they almost translating everything that I'm saying into another language whilst I'm speaking? And, and having that kind of consideration definitely has a significant impact on the pace that you deliver at, but also on the receptiveness and the awareness of what you're then talking about to the audience. Yeah, if you if you pay attention to that, you don't you don't lose the audience. Exactly. Let's go back to something <laughs> you mentioned at the start, because uh, I, I zero in on these things. Let's go back to those formative experiences when you made a mess of internal presentation. <laughs> Can you take us back, perhaps? Uh, well, it doesn't have to be an internal presentation now. But uh, what was your worst experience? When did you fluff it so badly uh, that you should have just died on stage? Do you know, and, I, and this is going to sound terrible, I can safely say that that was, for me, the one experience that then completely changed the way that I both prepare, um, do, but also where I get my head, how I get my head in the right place to actually do the presentation. And it's it's funny what you were just talking about yourself a second ago, Richard, with regards to 
when setting up, when you're um, talking, and I mentioned adrenaline earlier as well. And here's a, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce the question quickly back to you. Do you know what's the difference between being nervous and being excited physiologically? That's a good one. Is there a difference, in fact? Exactly that. Fight, flight, or make friends, as it were. That's yeah. Those are reactions. And nervous versus excited is practically, I won't say it's it's kind of like you're either fight or flight or make friends. If you're excited about something, it's a really positive experience. But if you're nervous about something, we associate that with a negative experience. But physiologically, I've been told, I'm not a doctor, but I have been told that the actual physical reaction that we have is exactly the same. The, the adrenaline that we release, the endorphins that we get, all of these sort of chemical reactions in our body are exactly the same. The only difference is our brain. Now, our brain is a bloody nightmare when it comes to this kind of thing. But if you can sit there, stand there before and say, I'm not nervous, I'm excited. It's, and if you can, you know, I won't quite say a mantra because that sounds a little bit cultish. But if you can do that, the difference it makes to how you feel when you actually go out there. And that was one of the, the key things that, and it was someone much more experienced than I was at the time of public speaking that said to me, Andrew, you know that nervousness you experienced? Just think of it this way. And that was one of the most formative foundational things that changed in the way, the way that I then look at presenting because it ties into your, you know, five internal people or a thousand external people. You know, it ties into that psychology of, how do you look at this? Are you nervous or excited? It's kind of like a superpower that you need to um, learn how to, to master or control, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. It's going to happen anyway. You're going to get that adrenaline rush. Absolutely. It's interesting that you mentioned that you had a, you know, you stood up and you had a brain freeze at that event. And that's happened to me as well. One effective technique, and I don't know if you have any techniques, I'd be interested to hear them for dealing with issues like that. The one that I use is to always memorize the first sentence. Not the rest of the talk, but just the first sentence. Yeah. Do you have any particular techniques, things that get you over yourself? I think it's one of those where it's all about, I find it's about preparation. So I find that it's about being comfortable, not to the point where you're complacent. And I think that's also an interesting one. You don't want, it's not about regurgitating because every time you do a presentation, there should be something else that you actually bring in. And I talk about knowing your audience, it's contextual as well. You know, one presentation, you might use the same slides, but if you're presenting to a financial audience versus a marketing audience, you should be pulling out quite different things. So one of the techniques I find that's really useful is before I present, number one, I'm always there prior. So therefore either, you know, if you're on after a break or lunch, whatever, walk around and talk to people. And I always actually walk up to people and go, and I'll explain, look, I'm talking later on, I'm just really interested. Why are you here today? And you'll be amazed how often they're there for a reason. They're there to learn something. And if you can then incorporate just a small element of some of those little nuggets, number one, it creates a far greater connection with the audience. You'll literally see the people that you were talking to earlier on sort of sit up a bit straighter and know that they're the ones um, that are being sort of talked to as part of this. But what I also then tend to find is it adds an awful lot more context for other people in the room as well. So, you know, invariably people are attending for similar reasons. 
So if you can just speak to a few of them to understand why, it adds great context and power to the presentation that you're doing. That is a fantastic idea. I, uh, I'm going to put that into effect. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually speaking at a conference in a couple of days, and I'm, I'm literally going to do that. Yeah, honestly. That's the great thing about this pod, doing this podcast is uh, you learn all these great, great tips. <laughs> That's a fantastic one. You know, I, I find referring back to what other speakers have said is also good, but establishing a connection with some members of the audience, that must be really powerful. Yeah. And, and avoid, and this is the thing, I mean, I... I Avoid people you know, number one, because they'll just tell you what they yeah, think. Yeah. Um, never seek feedback after a presentation, directly after a presentation. <laughs> That's the other thing as well. Number one, you're not able to actually receive feedback normally, depending on the size and the scope and everything else. Um, and also, it doesn't really give people an, an opportunity to form an opinion around it as well. But, you know, it's, it's this whole idea of pre, during, post. So pre, Go meet people during, I love your idea. Know that one sentence. I'll be honest, I probably cheat a bit in the fact that I make sure that my slides either have nice images or single words, which means that you can tend to talk around whatever the hell you want to talk around and you don't have to be too precise. Um, You know, you're not guided by your slide or rather you're guided by your slides rather than dictated by your slides. And then post-event, take that breath and, and get your energy back before you go and seek feedback. That's a really good mental model, Andrew. So it's, it's, yeah. So you can always be asking yourself, what am I going to do? I'm nervous about giving this talk or it's the yeah. first time I'm giving a big conference talk. Uh, what am I doing pre, during and post? Yeah. Tactically. Yeah. Just as a nice mental model. Yeah. I like it. And on that point, Richard, actually what I always do, and it's, it's been really interesting because I've become a lot more deliberate about it in the last couple of years. But one of the things that I always do now is I present to three different people in three different, you know, different stages. They can be different career stages, different um, levels of seniority in the business, different parts of the company. But I always present to three people to get their feedback around what did they learn? What was the key thing that they would take away from it? And what should I do differently? There's a, there was a great startup that I worked with years ago, and they were a gaming company. And they talked about, this is the bad version. And by using the comment or statement, this is the bad version, essentially what you're doing is you're empowering people to give you direct and honest feedback. You're making it acceptable. You're giving them permission to criticize. That's exactly it. So I present to three people and I say, this is the bad version. I would love your feedback on how you think I could improve this. And sometimes they come up with absolute gems. Sometimes... I'll go, okay, I'll take that on board. You don't always have to act on all feedback, but it's great to get that opportunity to hear what other people have learned, what they've taken away, and potentially how you can improve. Yeah, and that's a great mindset to have, you know, especially if you're starting out giving talks, especially at technical conferences, is that this is only version 1.0. Yeah. It's only the start. Another topic which I find interesting is the difference between speaking to small audiences versus large audiences. Mm. Just let's take yourself as an example. What's the largest audience you've spoken to? And what's the, I guess, more normal size? Well, so far, I think the largest is about a thousand. Okay. 
and smallest obviously is one, but uh, <laughs> normal size. So, but next week I might be, I'm, I'm presenting. So we're at a conference called Webit in Bulgaria, interestingly enough. Awesome. And I believe that I will be doing one of the keynotes there. As you can tell, I'm incredibly well organized right now. Next. <laughs> do, do the slides on the plane. Yeah. Um, no, I've, I've got the slide. It's, it's one that I've done before. I'm going to make a few tweaks as I, as I always do. Uh, but I think there might be two, two and a half thousand there. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, but it's interesting. There are a number of different things that happen. And again, it's about understanding why you're there. You know, is it a case of you're trying to promote something? You're trying to make a lot of people aware. And if you're doing that, it's relatively easy to do something that's, you know, a bit engaging, maybe some of the key points, but keep it. I always try and say, what are, what are the three things that they're trying to walk, that you're trying to get people to walk away with? And you can aim for three, you're lucky if you get one. It's always, you know, it's always the challenge when you're presenting to such a, a large audience. As that number comes down, you should be aiming much higher with regards to the engagement and um, hopefully the outputs of it. But another great insight that I was given a while ago, which is when you think you've got consensus, halve the number of people, because then you're probably closer to where you actually are. So if you think I've managed to get around half the people in the room, chances are you've hit around the quarter. You know, if you think that you've got 10% in the room, you've probably got significantly less. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that, that's sometimes reflected in uh, the experience I would have where, where you give a talk, you think it's gone great, and then you get loads of really difficult questions afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your strategy or techniques for dealing with uh, questions from the audience? Oh, that's such a fun one. Um, it really comes down to... Uh, the audience, whether how accepting they are, because um, there are there are some should we call them educated audiences, and um, where they will go, they will accept, if you will, a diplomatic answer to a question that clearly you don't want to answer. Yeah, and then there are some audiences that clearly will not, and they will be like a dog with a bone, and they will be chewing on it and gnawing on it, and they will come back again and again and again. Sometimes, uh, and again, what I would say is, as long as you can land a couple of key points, then most people are pretty comfortable with that. You can definitely, and, and there are times when you just do the diplomatic thing, which is they're asking a question and you'll bring it back to maybe the thing that you've been talking about rather than the question that they've asked, but do it in a, in a um, empathetic way. So it's not going, you're asking me about black and I'm telling you about white, but it's doing it in such a way that helps them understand the connection, but also understand it's not necessarily something that you're going to go into any deep. You can also say, come and come and teach me afterwards. Yeah. Or oh, we'll take that offline. That's always yeah. a fun one, isn't it? Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> but that's basically admitting defeat, really. <laughs> <laughs> I will know. Yeah. <laughs> or buy me a drink at the bar, actually. At least that's ah, that is some positive upside. That's, or, or I'll buy you a drink at the bar and then they're even happier. Yes. <laughs> uh, all of the inside tricks for <laughs> this podcast. We do not endorse the use of alcohol to deliver speeches. <laughs> Dealing with questions, I find, is one of the things I, I sometimes use is uh, personal anecdotes. 
if you're able to answer the question or at least provide some perspective using a personal experience, that's often acceptable, even if it isn't a full answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's fascinating, Richard, from my perspective as well, because obviously when I talk, people go, oh, it's Microsoft talking. And, and it's not. It's Android yeah. talking. Yeah. And, and, but the thing that I have to be incredibly conscious of is actually the perception is I am Microsoft. And that's really challenging at times because I have to be very aware of if I talk about certain subjects, it can be quoted. And, and that's why I probably have to be a little bit more diplomatic um, in some of my responses and sometimes just acknowledge, do you know what? I'm not the best person to answer that question, but I'd be more than happy to connect you with and mention names of people that, that obviously are experts in those areas. Yeah, I think you've hit on an interesting uh, challenge here, which, which some people will face, is that the higher the profile of your employer, the, the more it's perceived that you speak for them. Absolutely. If you work for a startup, you can pretty much get away with saying anything. Uh, <laughs> or indeed, I mean, the, the best speakers at conferences in, in terms of the crazy ideas are usually the freelancers. They can say whatever they like. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a challenge. It's often the case, you, you know, you, I can't tell it like it is. It's a challenge to maintain authenticity, I think, in that scenario. And it's interesting because I, I'll be honest with you, it tends to happen outside. So when we're at the bar having a drink, that it tends to happen where people go, yeah, you Microsoft, as opposed to, and I've literally, there have been situations where I've gone, well, it, it's actually me. I'm Andrew. I'm not Microsoft. And we've then discussed, and and it's it's quite interesting how people create these associations because it is, you are a physical manifestation of a corporate entity, which it's, it's an odd experience at times, but I still think it's possible. And I'm a believer that I'm still my authentic self. And even being my authentic self, there are things being authentic that I wouldn't want to talk about. So I think that has to translate into work situations where there are things that I'm not best place to talk about. Um, but I think, I'm, I'll be honest, Richard, I'm really lucky because I am in the startup space. I'm working with you know, fast-moving, agile businesses that genuinely um, are looking for support and they're looking for help. And, and the flexibility, I guess, I have in my role to do that puts me in a different space to probably some of my colleagues that are maybe more in the commercial, enterprise commercial space yeah. where there isn't quite that flexibility. Yeah, the startup world is much more fun. Isn't it ironic, though, the startup, the whole point of a startup is to turn into a, a large enterprise company and those fundamental paradoxes of life? Well, you say that, but I will so I still maintain startup is a way of mind. It's not, it's a culture. It's not um, based on company size. So I, I, I joke with some, in inverted commas, I'm making that sign that you obviously can't see. Um, <laughs> um, I call them established startups. And they're like 10, 15 years old, but they still, and they have like 500 employees, but, but the culture that they're engendering in their business is what, what I consider to be that startup culture. So I think that the, the world is changing, as we all know, um, but I think that one of those changes will be what we perceive as enterprise Actually, there's a huge opportunity at the moment to take some of the good out of that culture 
and, and really start to bring it into some of the big business um, in the world at the moment. We could certainly do more of that. I mean, to stay one step ahead of the machines, we're all going to have to be a lot more creative and look to our, <laughs> look to our human potential, our, our humanity. Absolutely. I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. You heard it here first. Andrew, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Really, really useful and insightful. Uh, and I will definitely be pestering members of the audience before my next talk. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and wrap up another episode of Fireside with Foxkey. You can find notes and links from this podcast at foxgate.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, one you can also learn. Visit foxgate.com slash newsletter to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, Pause and step forward.